Hi everyone, welcome to A Life in Movies, the interview show from All The Right Movies. My name is Luke. I'm John. And on the show we talk to people in entertainment about three of their favourite films. Today we're talking to comedian, writer, DJ, TV presenter and all-round movie aficionado, Alex Zane. Great to have you on the show, Alex. How are you doing? Gentlemen, thank you for having me. It's lovely to be here. Lovely to be here talking movies with you two. So yeah, very well, thanks. Good, good. Where you're at, Alex? Where you're based? Uh, I'm in North London currently, and um, I just took the uh, the dog out for a big two hour walk. So we should be undisturbed because wow. I'm recording <laughs> recording from home, and he's currently passed out on the couch. He has this really weird habit of waiting until I'm doing an interview in my broom cupboard upstairs, uh, a lot like the, the old children's BBC broom cupboard. Uh, he like Gordon the Gopher, he pops up and just goes, "Now I'd like some attention, please." Uh, so I think we're going to be all right. Well, you were right with your other same references by the sounds yeah. of it. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> we, were, we were just saying it's it's always nice to talk to people you say the same age, so you can go. You remember the broom cupboard? Yeah. <laughs> That's our listenership completely turned off. Then. <laughs> Doing a bit of research into you for this, Alex. Actually, I was surprised to see because I didn't know that you are originally from Leeds. I am originally from Leeds. Why are you either of you two Leeds boys? You're not, are you? Uh, no, but I used to live there for quite a few years. So I was, I was wondering where you're from originally. Let's do this. Were you, were you a student there? So were you like no, Hyde no, Park? I, huh? uh, not far from Hyde Park, but I worked there. I worked in Headingley and I lived in Chapel Allerton. Oh, I know Chapel Allerton. So I'm just down the road from Chapel Allerton. This is going to get very niche very quickly. So do you know uh, Oakwood, Oakwood Clock, where they've got the, uh, very, the retro fish bar, best of fish course. and chips yeah, in, in the yeah, country? Yeah, 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 yeah. Yeah, so I li- literally live just behind there. Well, I used to, I grew up just behind there. My mum's still up there. But yeah, Leeds is a great city. It is a great city. Beautiful city. Very nice. Pleasant reminiscences. I wish I was a part of them. <laughs> yeah, a, a great fish and chip recommendation. If anyone is ever in the Oakwood area, stop into Oakwood Fish Bar. It is just, I'm not kidding. I've had fish and chips on the coast that don't taste as good as inner city Leeds fish and chips. <laughs> a surprising shout out for Oakwood Fish Bar that I wasn't, I wasn't expecting. <laughs> I, told you, I told you it was going to get niche very quickly. Yeah. I, I, even I didn't anticipate just how niche it was going to get. A local fish and chip shop in Oakwood Leeds. <laughs> and you're the first guest on A Life in Movies from the UK, Alex. So that's a quite a milestone for us. Thank you. I'm honoured. Thank you. Thank you. <laughs> so come to you live from North London. We're going to talk about three movies that Alex has chosen. Are these your top three favourite films of all time, Alex? One of them is. One of them is my favourite film of all time. The other two are movies that I very much like, uh, one mm. of which I think is criminally underrated uh, so i'm looking mm. forward to talking about that but yeah i think the first movie we're going to talk about is in my opinion the greatest film ever made wow. brilliant so, okay very nice so go for it alex what is your first choice my first choice gentlemen oh it's a bit like blind date isn't it there's another reference there's another reference for just us. Uh, i'd like to pick uh, for my first movie jaws Oh, yes. What a way to start. From 1975, written by Carl Gottlieb and Peter Benchley, and based on Benchley's novel, Jaws was masterfully directed by Steven Spielberg. Roy Scheider stars as Martin Brody, the police chief of Amity, who is convinced that the island is under threat from a great white shark. Setting off on the ocean waves with salty sea dog Quint and oceanographer Hooper, the mismatched trio face an epic struggle to bring peace back to their shores. Whew. 
We've got the head, the tail, the whole damn thing here, Alex. Why have you chosen Joe's? <laughs> this was no boating accident. <laughs> <laughs> do you remember the first time you saw the film, Alex? I, I absolutely do, yeah. So uh, Jaws has had the biggest impact of all movies I've ever watched in my life. It's dictated my existence on this planet. <laughs> I watched it when I was five years old. And I remember distinctly, it was on ITV, and I remember saying to my mum, mm. I want to watch Jaws, I want to watch Jaws. I was fascinated by sharks already, and I was like, I want to watch Jaws. And my mum said no, and I was like, oh, please. And then in the end, she said, okay, but don't say I didn't warn you. Now, <laughs> I'd argue, as I have done with my mum, at five years old, I don't really understand the concept of Jeopardy and she should have just stopped me watching it. <laughs> because after having watched it at five, I have never been in the sea since. Wow, is that true? That's absolutely true. I mean, just a complete transparency. I've got my ankles wet. I've paddled about sure. in the surf, but I will yeah. not go any further than maybe knee height. And even then, if I'm going knee height, I do the thing that a lot of the generation that saw Jaws Too Young do, where you position other bathers between you and the open sea. <laughs> so you're certain that if a shark comes in, it's going to go for them first. So yeah, yeah. I, I don't go in the sea. Um, I climbed out of the swimming pool during my 25-meter swimming certificate because I thought there was a shark in there. And I, for 15 years or so after watching Jaws, I couldn't have bubbles in the bath because I needed to be able to see the bottom in case a trap door <laughs> opened and a shark swam up and death. <laughs> wow. Traumatized. Yeah. It had a huge effect on me. But I, again, I absolutely love it. I don't love its legacy because I'm a huge I'm a huge shark fan. I sponsor a mm. shark uh, that is somewhere, I believe, out in oh, the right. ocean called Cut Tail, I believe he's called. Although I looked at the documents the other day and they were like, yeah, we haven't seen him for 50, 15 years. I'm like, he might well be dead. And I'm still giving <laughs> That's a long time. Still <laughs> <laughs> yeah, it's not like a couple of days. 15 years is a long time. <laughs> they haven't stopped the standing order, though, have they? Exactly. <laughs> That's still going out. <laughs> exactly. I don't know whether it's transferred to another shark or what's going on. But yeah, I'm a, I don't like right. the legacy. I don't like the fact that it's, it's demonized sharks. I know the author, Peter Benchley, often talks about mm. um, his biggest regret um, about the book is obviously not the millions he made from it. It's uh, the fact that. Um, <laughs> He turns sharks into this this villain of the sea, but I just I think it's a it's a perfect film. Yeah, yeah, I love it as well. I mean, speaking of the book, Alex, I can see you've got it there on your shelf. Oh yes, I do. Well, this is the this is the actual. This is Carl Gottlieb's. Have you ever read this? this is the oh, Jaws. I've not. Uh, I've not read it. It looks brilliant. No. Yeah. Oh my god! Because the because it's one of those movies with so much rumor and history and all sorts of bits and pieces that's kind of the definitive guide to everything that happened on set so if you're a jaws fan i'd recommend the jaws log but yeah it's it's great there's a wonderful story in there about um uh, richard zanuck and david brown the producers yeah and just to give you an idea this is how little people knew about sharks in the 70s because obviously now we know a lot about them but hmm. at this point uh, zanuck and brown when they uh, when they decided they bought the rights to Jaws and they were like we're going to make Jaws, they uh, started approaching people uh, with the request that they needed a trained great white shark that was comfortable <laughs> enough to interact <laughs> with divers in the water. Because, and it was Peter eventually went, "What are you talking about? There's no such thing as a trained shark." But that was their first port of call was to try and find a trained shark. 
<laughs> There's another great story about how Steven Spielberg wasn't the first director. It was a fella called Dick Richards. I don't know if you've heard that. And he got fired because in meetings with Sonic and Brown, he kept calling <laughs> the shark a whale instead of a shark. <laughs> so that yeah. let him go. Yeah, I mean, there's so many crazy stories because obviously there's that famous scene in it where the shark attacks uh, the cage and destroys the cage. And obviously that's a real shark and they Ron and Valerie yeah. Taylor were these shark experts. And they, that's right, yeah. They, um, they had a, a very small guy, Carl Rizzo, I think his name was. I think he was a former mm. jockey, but he was a small guy to get this perspective of the shark. They wanted a small diver to go in the cage and because he wanted to work in movies, when they said, if he'd done any diving, he was like, absolutely. He'd never been diving in his life. <laughs> um, so when it came to getting in this cage, he was really reluctant. And he, he held off. He held off. He was like, actually, maybe I don't want to do this. Maybe I don't want to do this. And then in the end, just as he was about to get in the cage, that shark got trapped in the rope of the cage mm -hmm. and absolutely decimates it, which is what you see on screen and Ron and Valerie Taylor say that if he'd been in the cage, he would most certainly have been dead. So yeah. his absolute reluctance and fear saved his life, which is why I don't go in the sea. Look, I've got this tattoo <laughs> of a shark oh, on my oh, wrist yeah. oh, cool. to remind me that if I ever get drunk on a beach and someone goes, Hey, let's go in the sea. I just have to look down and remember that's where the sharks live. <laughs> Yeah, Carl Rizzo, I think he was only about four foot ten, maybe, or something, because the yeah. one that he made the shark look huge, so they got a smaller person in there. Yeah, pretty clever. Yeah, yeah. Have you read Incredible. the Have you read the the actual book? Um, I I I've held off for years, and then I the novel. I I've read yes. the novel. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I do. I do like it. it. It has a bit of a bad rap, I think, but I do like it, but not as much as the film. No, I think it's certainly a case of a film that's better than the novel. I, yeah. I mean, my biggest problem with the novel is what a dick Hooper is in the he's novel. Terrible. He's, a, he's <laughs> a terrible character, yeah. Doesn't he sleep with Brody's wife? Yep. Yeah. He sleeps with his Brody's wife, has, a, has an affair with her. Uh, and so when you actually get to the bit, because Hooper dies in the mm. book and the shark kind of holds his body it like taunts brody and quints with this body <laughs> like it lifts the body out of the water and sort of shows it off and i'm like good i don't like Hooper in the book. <laughs> yeah I don't, I don't like him in the book either i think he's like a long-haired kind of beach bum kind of a scientist yeah. guy <laughs> yeah yeah he's certainly not the lovable um no. the lovable richard dreyfus and um, <laughs> no no he's great oh, i actually went to see that play the shark is broken oh right um, yeah yeah got good reviews it's it's amazing. It's absolutely brilliant. And uh, Ian Shaw, who um, is Robert Shaw's ah, son, yes. who wrote the play mm -hmm. and obviously plays Quint in it, it's at its uncanny when he's in really? Quint's outfit and he's delivering the Indianapolis speech. It's you're sort of almost like I'm watching it live. Like I'm so it's it's you can't separate him <laughs> from Robert Shaw. He looks so much like him. So it's about that's about the making of Jaws. Is that right? Yeah, it's about sort of the relationship because famously, obviously, Robert Shaw and uh, Richard Dreyfuss did not get yeah, yeah. on. Yeah, um, each other. Yeah, because I th Robert Shaw liked to drink and I think, um, I mean, there's the whole story about how his first try at the Indianapolis speech, he was too drunk and he was like, I'm not, I'm, I'm going to come back and I'm going to do it tomorrow. And when he yeah. did it the following day, he was absolutely amazing. But I think his feud with Dreyfuss really started because he was climbing onto the Orca and he handed... Uh, Richard Dreyfus, his glass of whiskey while he found his footing on the boat and <laughs> yeah, Richard yeah. Dreyfus chucked it in the sea and I think <laughs> after that there was no way back <laughs>
Well, talking about the lead characters, it's got three incredibly strong lead performances, Alex. Which is your favourite character? Who's your favourite character? Great, great question. Um, I think it, it's Hooper. I just think he's he's great. Yes. I think like that scene where he goes around to the Brodies and they finish dinner and he's just like, is anyone eating this? And starts eating mm. the dinner. Yeah, yeah, it's I, great. Just, <laughs> I love, love it. I just little bits like that. Um, I mean, obviously, he only really works as a pairing with Quint, you got silly hands, Mr. Hooper. Been counting <laughs> money all your life. Yeah. <laughs> um, so, yeah, but those two, I think, are, are absolutely fantastic. The character who doesn't get mentioned enough and I think has possibly the most tragic story in the film is poor Pippin the dog. Uh, oh. I, I just, uh, as a dog owner, do either of you have dogs? I don't know. No. Okay. So it might not might not resonate with you, but that moment where the owner, where the shark, it's just before it's around the Kitner boy's death. So it's yeah. when Alex Kitner's been killed. But also, no one's thinking about poor Pippin and that owner just wandering up and down the surf line, just sort of going Pippin, Pippin, <laughs> heartbreaker, <And> absolutely <laughs> destroys me. Yeah, you, you see the um, the stick floating on the water, don't you? Yes, yeah. <laughs> so apparently that if you ever there's that still that floats around the internet quite often of what the original death of the Kitna boy was yeah. going to be like. Yeah. I think I, was it was it Joe Alves who um, who shot it after Spielberg had had left already. So they did some stuff and it was just so graphic. He was like, yeah. nope, can't put that in. <laughs> and when you see the still, it's monstrous. It's a petrifying oh, black is, and yeah. white photo. Yeah, yeah. You see the boy actually in the shark's mouth, don't you? Yes. I didn't know it was shot by Joe Alves, though. He designed the shark. I was involved in the designing the shark, I think. Yeah, he's yes. production designer, isn't he? Yeah. 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 Didn't he direct your favorite as well, John, uh, Jaws 3D? <laughs> he did he did do that one yeah <laughs> jaws 3d i think is underrated i have a lot of love for jaws 3d and i i, I think it's uh, this is probably going to get a few people irate i think it's almost i'm not gonna i'm not gonna i'm not gonna go the whole hog and uh, bury myself this early in our chat but i think it's almost as good as jaws 2 um, I, thought, I thought you were going to say I the first one. Say the first one. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, yeah, yes, that's right. I've come on to talk about my favourite movie, Jaws, and my second favourite movie, Jaws 3D. <laughs> so, yeah. what do you think of Jaws: The Revenge, then, Alex? <sighs> I've tried, man. I've tried on numerous occasions. I, the most fun thing about Jaws: The Revenge are those two weird alternate endings, where in one, Jake. Mike's mate is alive <laughs> and like sort of wheels up to the helicopter or the plane at the end in a wheelchair, but he's very much alive. And I was watching, and I didn't know there was this alternate ending. And I was watching it again and suddenly he just doesn't appear. I'm like, what the hell? Where's Jake? And they just decided in one, he's dead. Mario Van Peebles' character is dead. Wow, I didn't know that. Yeah, it's just, it's sort of like, what? Of, of, of all the problems with Jaws the Revenge, it's not whether Mario Van Peebles lives or dies. But I will say this. I do think the opening of Jaws the Revenge is, is brilliant. It's one of those things. So, for example, like Alien 3, like a, a sequel that is not only bad, but because of what it contains, it ruins your enjoyment of the original. So for Aliens is <laughs> one of my favorite movies of all time. I think it's better than Alien. Yeah. But Alien 3, by killing Newt and Hicks at the start. Mm, it's a crime. It, it, it destroys the end of Aliens because it's a feel-good ending. It's like Newt's alive, Hicks has survived, and then mm -hmm. you know Alien 3, 
bang, both dead. So I think Jaws the Revenge, I think it's the best bit in the film, Sean's death. But you're like mm-hmm. watching Jaws now and you're going, that little kid is going to be killed. Like he's going to get his arm torn off and then murdered mm. by a shark 20 years from now. Yeah, you're right. That scene is actually <laughs> really good, but it does. Mm. It ruins the first film. <laughs> <laughs> I think yeah. one of my favorite things about Jaws when I read certainly the behind the scenes stories, Alex, is that Steven Spielberg was only what, 26, 27 when he directed mm. it. Loads and loads and loads of production issues with the film. And somehow he managed to turn it around. Is that, is it, I, I'm guessing it must be your favorite Spielberg film then. It is my favorite Spielberg film. I think he's actually gone on record and said, if the shark worked, I'd have probably made half the movie I ended up making because yeah. it is that happy accident. The shark didn't work. Um, mm-hmm. And and so we got those barrels, those terrifying barrels. Yeah, yeah they're incredible. How scary. Three. Mm-hmm. You can't stay under with three. Not with three. <laughs> <laughs> but, yeah. Um, although we have to give credit where credit's due. I think it was – maybe it was Richard Zanuck, but – um, Spielberg had a crazy idea for how he wanted to end Jaws. He wanted, as as Brody and Hooper are paddling back to shore, he wanted a school of shark fins to appear on the horizon, heading towards them. Really? And it, yeah, <laughs> and uh, Richard Zanuck was the one who went. Absolutely not. Not. <laughs> so, yeah, Spielberg, if he'd had his way, would have undone one of the feel good endings in cinema. Yeah. Yeah, well, the end's great. I think Spielberg and Peter Benchley fell out on the set as well over the ending because he changed the mm. ending to how the shark blows up, which doesn't happen in the novel, and Benchley wasn't happy about it. So they kind yeah. of fell out as well. Doesn't the shark just get tired and then die? Yeah, I think it like kind of just sinks. I think, yeah. Yeah. That's correct. Yeah, it's a it's quite a, a low key ending in the book. It does mm. just uh, sink. I think you're right. I think the barrels tire it out, and, and it just sinks. Because I think Benchley was like, uh, "This this is nonsense. This doesn't work. You, you, you a shark would not explode if you fired a rifle <laughs> at an oxygen tank in its mouth." And Spielberg's answer was, "At this point in the movie." I'll have the audience that I could pretty much do anything and they'd still come with me, which I think is true. Yeah, absolutely. He knows what he's doing, that Spielberg, doesn't he? Yeah, he he's, knows a thing or two. <laughs> he's got a career ahead of him. Certainly. <laughs> <laughs> what do you think of the actual shark itself, Alex? Because it's quite a popular thing now to bash how the shark looks. It's a, it's a, it's a, really, it's a really good question. And I think, again, um, because by the time it makes its appearance, so I think we first really get a proper look at it, when Brody's, uh, why don't you come down here and chum some mm. of this shit? He, I think at, at that point, because it's been this, just this thing, this like we've seen the POV shots when it's killing the Kitna boy, which is this, again, just to go back to why I don't go in the sea. If I was on a lilo, all I would be thinking is I, I, that's what I visualize, like the POV shot <laughs> of a shark swimming <laughs> up beneath me. And then you watch any video of a great white breaching, like snatching a seal, and you're just like, yeah, I mean, that's, oh, oh my God. Oh, my God. I mean, <laughs> honestly, it's, it's doing a number on me. By the time we see it, the, the groundwork has been done in this movie, and it's, it's terrifying. There was going to be another scene that I think they couldn't film because it was too complicated, too expensive, or maybe the shark wasn't working because when the it's the two fishermen who are using the sunday roast to catch oh, up the yeah, pier, yes there was meant to be a row of boats moored out at sea and they they were going to go up 
one at a time as the shark swam under it to give you an idea of the scale of the fish, just how big it was. That moment where the jetty sort of turns in the water to signify, oh, (laughs) fantastic, that. Isn't it? (laughs) Absolutely, yeah. I mean, this this is what we're talking about. It's like by the time the shark appears, I've been terrified by a floating piece of wood. So at that point, I'm I'm sold. (laughs) Yeah. (laughs) Well, speaking of the scenes in the film then, Alex, which one would you say, if you had to pick one, is your favourite scene in Jaws? I've got a really weird one for Jaws, and I don't know why um, it's my favourite scene, but it's I think it's because of the emotional journey we've just been on. So it's where the two f- kids are doing the shark fin fake out. So it's the kids. They think You think the shark's there, and it's the kids, and they've got a, a yeah. cardboard fin. And then Michael is in the pond, and there's that girl who sees the shark swimming into the pond. And it's a combination of the fact that she can't get the words out, which is like, shark, shark, yeah. shark, yeah, yeah. shark. <laughs> it's that. And Brody's really dismissive on it, like, what now? And then Ellen Brody goes, Michael's in the pond. And you see Brody start running and getting faster. And it's, it's yeah. that little sequence. But really, it's the actress going, shark, shark. It just gets me every time I get goosebumps <laughs> thinking about it. So you've been in entertainment for over 20 years, Alex. How did you get started? I I saw I started doing stand up comedy um in Leeds actually you you probably remember the pub that I uh, did my first <laughs> oh, yeah. ever gig in back to Leeds chat and uh, you know the um the dry dock pub the, oh yeah 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 the old yeah, boat the old boat yeah yeah wow so I did my first ever stand up gig there. wow. Yeah, died on my ass. Terrible. <laughs> um, and then, um, and then, but I kept on going. And I was actually uh, in Edinburgh. I was doing the Edinburgh Festival in 2002. And again, I, you know, I think there's always a little bit of serendipity in, mm. in how careers start, a little bit of luck. And I was on stage and MTV were in the room and they were scouting for some new presenters. And they said, oh, you should come down to London and screen test. So I did. And then I got... Cool my first job uh, hosting a movie show um, because they wanted me to do a comedy show. And I was like, I, I, there was a movie show up for grabs called Screenplay. And I was like, I'd like to do that, please. And so I fought for it and I got to do it. And it was one of the most fun jobs I ever had, just being able to, because even now, I don't think there are many critical review shows on TV. There was film 2000 and whatever. Um, yeah. You know, back in the day, obviously the great. There was Mary very Young. few movie mm. shows when we were younger. Mm. Yeah. Especially like there were a lot of movie promotional shows like paid mm-hmm. for by the studios that were like, yeah. look how cool this movie is. Look how amazing it's going to be. But I, we had, I, I had the privilege to be able to go on TV and critique movies, like give a review to camera, which amazing. was, um, which was lovely. So what was the format of that show, Alex? It was just a review show reviewing new releases? Yeah, review show, uh, the new releases that week. And also we did some set visits here and there, uh, one of oh, which wow. I'll be mentioning in a little moment. Ah, <laughs> very nice. <laughs> and then the first time I became aware of you, actually, Alex, was when you were on T4. What was it Pop World used to host? 
Yeah, that was a, yeah. A week morning show, I think, from what I remember. Because I used to live in London at the time when you were on it. You hosted it with Alexa Chung. I used That's to love correct. it. Yeah, no, that was great fun. <laughs> yeah, so I, I sort of, I jumped shit from MTV after about four years at MTV and then and then ended up doing, well, I first started doing Balls of Steel on Channel 4. Um, oh, right. Which was yeah. a, a prank show uh, yeah. that we did. And then I did Pop World um, after that and then moved on to RudeTube. Oh, yeah, yeah. And yeah. I also know that you were on uh, XFM for a while. Me and Luke are both massive fans of um, the Ricky Gervais, Stephen Merchant podcast and Carl Pilkington. was wondering if you might have a story or two about them. I'm assuming you knew them at the time. Well, they do reference you in one of the um, <laughs> the shows from the XFM days. <laughs> Yeah, I, I've heard about this. Um, so <laughs> I actually did. They were on at one o'clock on a Saturday and I was on at 10 o'clock. So I did what I lovingly referred to as the Ricky Gervais warm-up show. So I did the right. show before them. Then they took over. Um, it was actually Ricky uh, uh, who got me my job at XFM. He, uh, oh, really? He's, isn't. Yeah, it was, was a really nice thing for him to do. He said they were looking for new DJs and he put me forward. And so I went in and, you know, I wasn't. it wasn't just like, Oh well, Ricky says so. Here's your job. I had to do the demo tape and everything, mm-hmm. but uh, but yeah, that was great fun. So the story is, Carl. They ask Carl who what the <laughs> who the most attractive man is, and he says me. I'm like, that's you said so you, you lucky thing. Yeah. <laughs> <sighs> yeah, I think he says young Alexander. <laughs> yeah, yeah. And the emphasis right now is on the young, uh, the young, the young version of this. Amazing. Okay, Alex, so what is the second film on your list? The second film on my list is Event Horizon. Ooh, yes. Released in 1997, Event Horizon was written by Philip Eisner and directed by Paul W.S. Anderson. In deep space, the crew of the Lewis and Clark rescue ship with the aid of Dr. Weir go in search of the Event Horizon, a ship thought to have disappeared seven years ago. When they reach their destination, untold terrors are unleashed amid hallucinations and unknowable forces. It has a talented cast including Larry Fishburne, Sam Neill, Jolie Richardson and Kathleen Quinlan. The gate is open, Alex. Why have you chosen Event Horizon? So I mentioned at the start that one of the movies I think is criminally underrated and this is that film. I just, I love this movie. I, I, mm. I loved it from the first moment I saw it. I watched it at the cinema. I actually watched it. <laughs> I actually watched it at the cinema. Um, I was in Bangkok in 1997 um, doing a little bit of traveling. And as you do in this um, vibrant, culture-filled city where you can mm. go and visit any number of iconic, historic landmarks, I went and watched Event Horizon in the cinema. And <laughs> I loved it. Tell you what, though, Alex, I think Alien has ripped this right off, hasn't it? Oh, <laughs> <laughs> uh, I mean, look, it gets it gets a few accusations leveled at it, like, <laughs> oh, it's a bit of an Alien ripoff. I mean, so for me, do we, I'll just I'll just ask you. Why don't I just ask you? Are either of you um forty uh, k players or collectors Warhammer forty k? I saw the book on your uh, shelf there behind what? you. I used to be when I was younger. Yeah. Right, yeah, but I'm building an I was orc, never that cool. I'm building an orc army at the moment. So, uh, that's why that's, uh, um, so yeah, uh, at school, just to just to set the scene, I was the only kid out of two thousand p- 
pupils at my comprehensive school, I was the only one who carried a briefcase. Briefcase. In that briefcase, I uh, I kept uh, a copy of the uh, the Warhammer forty k uh, rule book, uh, which I just get out sometimes and uh, i also kept the rules to warhammer fantasy role play which is for those who don't know it's a lot like dungeons and dragons but it's better uh, so uh, we used to play that at lunch times so yeah uh, philip eisner he was big into 40k and i love the idea which i i don't think has ever been confirmed but a lot of 40k fans truly believe it that this movie is basically mankind's first encounter with the warp warp space which is obviously a huge part of the 40k universe so they've kind of adopted this movie as part of the 40k right right yeah speaking of your bookshelf there alex i notice you've also got above top secret by timothy good one of my favorites i think you've stolen my bookshelf (laughs) it's um i mean this this bookshelf really i should check it i don't even know what's on here if you hadn't pointed this out i'd be like what yes so yes so we've what have we got this is pretty much my life. I've got the Jaws log, a book about the worldwide UFO cover-up, and an Orc Army Codex from 440K. Best bookshelf so, yeah. ever. All essential reading. Yeah. <laughs> but uh, if we can go back to Event Horizon just briefly, I-, I think famously, Alex, there was some deleted footage taken out from the film. Have you seen any of that? So isn't this isn't this part of the reason this movie? I yeah. mean, I'm assuming you guys like it. Do you like it, or do you think it's a, a little bit naff? I like it. Yeah, I like it. I, I really. I, um, sci-fi is not my thing, really, but I really I think there's something tantalising, and I think it's particularly because of those CCTV uh, images, the footage. It kind of shows you what happens, but doesn't, and you just want to see more. But obviously, it looks absolutely outrageous as well. You don't want to see more. Yeah. <laughs> so you're talking about the uh, the famous blood orgy scene where yeah. yeah. Yeah, yeah. So I mean, this movie—I I love the mythology that's built up around this movie mm-hmm. about this famous longer cut of the movie, which was so graphic that people were passing out in the cinemas. Paramount <laughs> got cold feet and cut it down to like I think it's a pretty sharpish hour thirty, hour forty. But there was pretty initially sharp. the first time it was mm-hmm. screened is two hour ten minute cut and you saw so much more you saw uh, images in that hell orgy that were just like really like people having screws screwed into their eyes someone's legs being bashed off so much that they just come off his body and then the rest of the torso crawls across the floor and famously all that footage was stored in a Transylvanian salt mine and just it got (laughs) it, it got degraded to the point that it, it, it it's lost now it's lost yeah. and then this rumor started that there was a vhs copy that the producer lloyd levin had but then since then he said no that's that's degraded as well so it's mm. this idea that we all sort of go i really really wish we'd seen the longer cut and i don't know i think the joy is that we can't and i think yeah. the excitement and the fascination is because we can't i don't think if we saw it it would be as good as the idea of imagining what it could have been like mm-hmm. yeah I, I feel the same about uh stallone's cobra so apparently there's a, a 30 minutes extra that should have been in the film that was cut out which would explain a lot about the film so i'm, I'm i am i'm holding out for that one to be honest that's amazing it's Cobra, is that the one where Stallone is 
such a tough, busy cop. He eats a pizza, a frozen pizza, without even <laughs> bothering to cook it because he's so he's so committed to being a cop. Doesn't he cut yeah, it he with a pair of scissors or something? Yeah. Yes, he does. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. It's the Lord. Oh, but, but yeah, I mean, I, I think with with Event Horizon, I think the one scene that I think Paul W.S. Anderson has said he'd like to have put back in that was cut out of the version that we eventually saw is Sam Neill in devil form, does the, a spider walk backwards down a yeah. ladder. Oh, and right. mm-hmm. For any, anyone who's obviously seen the famous spider walk that Reagan does and the exorcist that William mm-hmm. Friedkin famously cut out of that. I still think I've, I've watched it on YouTube just the other day. I still think it's the scariest thing that is not in the theatrical version of the exorcist is absolutely terrifying. Yeah. So in my head, the Sam Neill spider walk is probably comparable to that. So I've built it up. And, and if I saw it, I'd be like, ah, that's all right. But the fact that I can't is uh, it just, it tickles me. Great cast, though, isn't there? I mean, Sam Neill, everyone likes Sam Neill, surely, but Julie Richardson, Lawrence Fishburne, really good. Oh, what a cast. And the fact that basically they picked Sam Neill, they decided we want Sam Neill because he was like America's sweetheart. He'd just save those kids yeah. in Jurassic Park. He'd, <laughs> in Jurassic Park. Yeah, He'd yeah. save the kids from the dinosaurs and they're like, we're going to turn him into the devil. And I love that. I love that casting decision. Oh, he's amazing. What a turn. Right at the end, because you know he's not on the level, but you wouldn't expect him to go this far. Mm. Yeah. Yeah, I mean, I just, it really works for me as a movie. From that opening shot of the event horizon in that decaying orbit, just sitting there in space. And it's such a beautiful ship. I think it was designed, it was based on the Notre Dame Cathedral is what they're, they, they oh, tried right, to right. create with the design of it. But it just, the way it's just sitting there, this sentient ship waiting for people, I, yeah. it scares the life out of me. And I mean, <laughs> I think some of the things that they did on set were probably more horrific than the movie. So, you know, the kid <laughs> who's got the injuries on his legs. Oh, yeah. Yeah, yeah. Yeah. So there was a version of that where they had maggots crawling in all his wounds Ugh. but they 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 wanted a reaction shot from the kid so they put a screen in front of him so he couldn't see his legs filled these prosthetic legs with maggots and then to get the shot they started rolling and then just pulled the screen back to get the kid to, so the kid looked <laughs> wow. at what he thought were his legs full of maggots and apparently his Jesus. reaction was, it was just way too much to actually go in the film because he just lost his mind as you would as you would <laughs> yeah. yeah i mean i mentioned alien before there alex i think the world feels very much like it's taken from that kind of Ridley Scott alien kind of a thing and i felt the narrative has influences in the shining maybe do you take that from yeah. it it's like a haunted house in space. Yeah. yeah. I mean, it was initially going to be a lot more like Alien because Philip Eisner's original script had tentacled aliens running amok on the right. ship. And then <laughs> well, there you go. Paul W.S. Anderson was like, I don't No, we can't do that. And I think it was Andrew, Kev- yeah, Andrew Kevin Walker. So he'd just done seven. All right. Um, mm-hmm. And so, uh, according to Lloyd Levin, the producer, he was like, Andrew Kevin Walker was in exactly the right place to do a pass on our script. And it was him who came up with the idea of the ship having passed through to hell. Right. right. Well, I think that's infinitely better than just straight up ripping off Alien. <laughs> <laughs> I, every time I bump into Sean Pertwee, 
I chew his ear off about this film uh, <laughs> to the point where I, I think I've started to annoy him. But he always tells me, like, he always has one bit of nugget of information that he's not previously <laughs> told me. The one last time where I, I, I trapped him, he couldn't get out because he was sitting in a corner seat and I just sat next to him and I was like, so, Ben Horizon. Uh, he said that <laughs> it was his idea because I think one of the great moments in it is the expression on Smitty's face when he opens the thing and discovers the bomb that Weir is planted. Oh, yeah, yeah. And at that moment, it was going to be 1-0. So he opened it and it just exploded. Like, mm-hmm. And he said to Paul Anderson, he was like, do it from like four or five because then you'll get my reaction mm-hmm. shot. And that was his idea. Yeah. And it's that face, that reaction shot, that like realisation that makes that moment. Yeah. But it's a great yeah. moment because like five seconds of knowing I'm dead. What can you it's possibly? Shit. Yeah. yeah. I, I like as well how the film occasionally, I think unintentionally, kind of lapses into comedy a little bit. Like the bit where Cooper is at, like space dive is a Cooper space diving from one ship to the other. And he's like, Whoa, yeah. I can't stop myself. <laughs> oh man, I can't believe you've you've done I mean, John, John. You've done it. You've, what you've done there is is pick up on what the one thing. If I could change anything about this movie, it's that ridiculous moment because he's like literally in outer space at one point, and then he goes, "What's going Why is on?" Cracking? Yes. <laughs> yeah, I hate, I hate that bit. Yeah, that's that's such a strange turn in the dialogue and the tone as well, isn't it? Because it's been serious as hell, and then all of it, he's given quips outside, <laughs> weightlessness. <laughs> I couldn't believe it. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. All right. Let's not talk about that. Let's talk about all the other. <laughs> okay. Good, Draw good a line under that one. <laughs> <laughs> and it's got um, similarities to Jaws, and that's a very, it's a very tense horror movie experience. This film, and there's certainly a theme to the films that you've chosen to talk about, Alex. <laughs> is horror your favourite movie genre? It is at this time of year. I, 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 I yeah. Halloween is the greatest night of the year, in my opinion. And so I spend October just immersed in horror. And, and yeah, you, you, we, we just happenstance has put me on your show at a moment where the <laughs> only thing I'm thinking about is horror. And, and Event Horizon is one of, I mean, is it alien? No. Is it good? Definitely. I mean, that moment with the cassette at the start, I remember seeing that for the first time where it's like, Liberate me. Oh, yeah, yeah, that's good, yeah. It's so good. And the DJ, Jason Isaac's character, he's like, I made a mistake. It's it's not savers. It's Liberate Tutame. Save yourselves. And there's more. Liberate Tutame ex infernis. Save yourselves (laughs) from hell. It's brilliant. (laughs) And you're telling us this now (laughs) when we're here. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah. And that airlock scene, that airlock scene, oh my oh. god! With baby bear and mama bear, it's just oh yeah. I, I, that's that's yeah, yeah. Good dialogue, that I really like that. Yeah. So, what would you say is your favourite scene in the film, yeah. Alex? That's why I stopped myself because I knew you were going to ask me that question, <laughs> and I, 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 I didn't want to start repeating myself. But it is, I think, as an exercise in tension, as an exercise in horror as an exercise in just really nasty that airlock scene is brilliant because it's the moment where the alarm snaps justin out of whatever trance he's been in and at that point he's like mama bear open the door open the door and she can't and you know that he's going to be thrown out into space and he knows that and no one can help him and he's got to sit there as the timer ticks down 
It's wonderful. Hey. Stark, gotta fucking open! Hey, open the door. I can't! The inner door won't open when the outside door's been triggered. It would decompress the entire ship. Oh my god. Mama Bear, open the door. Come on, please. Captain! Patch me through to him. Captain Miller, tell them to open the door. They can't do that, Justin. I don't want to die in here. You're not gonna die. I want you to listen to me very carefully, and I'm gonna get you out of there. Oh my god, it's starting. Okay, so you talked about um, DJ and Alex, you TV presenter. How different was it working in the two mediums? What are the, the, the main differences, would you say? Oh, that's a, that's a good question. I'm, I prefer radio because there's an authenticity to it. I mean, sorry, live TV, I, I, I loved it. It's great. There's not that much live TV on, but I think when you're pre-recording uh, shows, because I, I came from a live TV background because I was doing TRL, uh, Total Request Live on MTV. And <laughs> I really love that. And then I started doing pre-recorded TV. And it's quite rigid. There's a really set yeah. format, as you'd imagine, with TV, whereas radio is just like there's an authenticity to it. You could, it's, It feels organic. It's live as well, which is always exciting. So, yeah, I mm. much preferred live TV and radio to regular pre-recorded TV, which, again, you know, I sort of like to do things spontaneously, for better and worse, sometimes. And um, <laughs> and when you um, when you're pre-recording, a producer will just go, "Yeah, you're absolutely not doing that. Do it again without that bit in." And I don't like <laughs> I don't like being told yeah. what to do. And you're the face of Sky Cinema, and and you presented Sky's coverage of the Oscars. Where did your love of movies come from? So I mean. You know, not to bring it back to the greatest movie ever made, but Jaws uh, sure. really was my way. It was the first time I, I sort of found the effect a, a movie could have uh, on me. It was, well, it was a combination of Jaws and spending my childhood wanting to be Burt Reynolds in Smokey and the Bandit. Um, uh, <laughs> and, and genuinely, I kind of still do. Uh, that's, <laughs> my dream is to really own a black 1977 Pontiac Firebird Trans Am and have a CB radio and be able to say things like Breaker 19, Breaker 19, this is the bandit and not sound like a total dickhead, which is very <laughs> difficult. I think, Alex, was there a time when you sported a mustache? <laughs> I, 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 I've attempted to grow the. the I'm sure the I've seen you with one before, yeah. <laughs> yeah, I can't do it. I just, I really, I really, I've tried. And if I could, I would, but I can't. <laughs> Speaking of Sky Cinema, obviously you interview a lot of people on the red carpet, etc., that kind of thing. Who is your favorite movie industry person that you've interviewed? So I'm a big, big fan of Tom Cruise. Um, oh, lovely. I, oh, who isn't? I've interviewed him so many times now. Um, and uh, I saw, well, the weird story is when I was a student in London, the first premiere I ever went to, so I didn't know they had premieres in Leicester Square. I'd been in London about a year. And yeah. I sort of saw this crowd and I kind of pushed my way to the front. I was like, what's going on here? Got to the railing. And as I got to the railing, it was just as Tom Cruise was walking past promoting Vanilla Sky. And he shook my hand and I was like, oh, oh my God. <laughs> um, and then after that, so now cut to now. And obviously I was just hosting the Dead Reckoning Part 1 premiere in, in Leicester Square. And Wonderful. It's, it's, I just find him such a fascinating person to talk to a because he's a massive movie geek uh, mm. and also because i mean 
arguably he is the last true movie star that we yeah. still have yeah, working today, like a, mm -hmm. a, an actual bona fide movie star. So yeah, uh, that and he he sends me a cake every Christmas, so I kind of have to say. It. Does he? Wow, brilliant! Yeah. Does he really? So so he is a real person then. <laughs> he is a real person. Uh, yeah, so because he's ageless, isn't he? Amazing. Isn't he, he? Looks, he looks great. He still looks twenty five. <laughs> Yeah, he looks like he's 25. He does stunts like he's 25. Yeah. yeah, yeah. And yeah, so he's got this famous cake list. I only mention it because it makes me sound awesome. <laughs> you know, but also like a, a bit of an idiot for bringing it up. But yeah, he's got this cake list. So if you once you sort of, if you've worked with him, you get a cake every Christmas. And it's a, it's a delicious uh, white chocolate and coconut cake. I bet it is. Oh, wonderful. Uh, see if there's any room on that list, see if you can get all the right movies on it. <laughs> I'll, I'll bring it up next time I see him. Put in a word. <laughs> Obviously, everyone knows Tom Cruise, the, the movie star, like you say, Alex. But what do you like face-to-face? -face? What do you like as a person? Great. He's he's great. I mean, I, again, so the show that I do with, uh, that I've done with him a couple of times, it's called Real Life, uh, R-E-E-L, Life. And... Um, and huh. we sit down in a cinema with an actor or a filmmaker and we play on uh, the big screen the most iconic scenes from mm -hmm. their career. Great. And we talk about the memories that they had making it and, you know, what it was like on the day, what it was like to shoot, what the, all that kind of stuff. And I remember the first time we did it with Tom Cruise, it was we, didn't, we weren't sure if the format was going to work. Uh, and we sort of sat down and just to watch him mouthing along to his lines <laughs> from Risky Business 30 <laughs> years ago. And you're like, and it's, it's, it's just quite a, an emotional moment to see an actor still remember their lines and be mouthing along yeah. with them and just sort of getting the reaction of them watching their body of work. It's, uh, it's a lot of fun. Yeah, amazing. Okay, well, what a way to take us into the third film. What is your third pick, Alex? Thank you. My third pick is going to be 2004's Dawn of the Dead. Oh, yes, indeed. Yeah, written by James Gunn and directed by Zack Snyder, a remake of George Romero's 70s classic. A group of mismatched strangers haul up in a local shopping mall for sanctuary amid a horde of rage and zombies baying for blood outside. Sarah Pauli and Ving Rhames are the big players in a great ensemble cast. Hell is overflowing and Satan is sending his dead back to us, Alex. Why have you chosen Dawn of the Dead? I think I've timed this quite badly, haven't I? Because I've I've just come off the back of saying I'm on Tom Cruise's cake list, which sounds like a massive show-off thing to do. Uh, and now I'm about to tell you I picked this because I'm in it. So, so I've, I've really I've really started to sound like a bit of a prat on this episode. Oops. Yeah, uh, I'm in it. That's <laughs> why I've picked it. Yeah, I didn't actually know you were in it until Luke told me. And obviously you wouldn't recognise you because you're all made up in zombie gear. So how did you come to be involved in the film? So yeah, for those who are like, ah, oh, must see him in it now. Uh, he, I am third zombie from the front when I chase them into the elevator at the shopping mall and Ving Rhames and Sarah Polly and everyone. So this was, I, I'd love to say, I was just sitting at home, phone rings, Zack Snyder. He goes, listen, I'm making... A remake of Dawn of the Dead, and I just think you'd be great as third zombie from the front. <laughs> when you do it, uh, but it was this quite a it was a quite a fun thing when I was at MTV and we were making that movie show. I mentioned screenplay. Sometimes yeah. what would happen is you'd go to do a set visit, and 
what certain film studios did was like, oh, we'll put you in the movie in a, a small role and it'll it be great content for your show and you'll talk about the movie and that'll be that. So I was in Toronto reporting on it and they were like, do you want to be a zombie in it? And I was like, yes, Brilliant. I would absolutely love to be a zombie in it. So I was a zombie in Dawn of the Dead. I was a zombie in George Romero's Land of the Dead and I played a TV presenter in Juice Bigelow, European Gigolo. Yes, for real. <laughs> How long were you in the makeup chair Classic. for? Uh, for Juice Bigelow, European Gigolo. Hours. <laughs> hours. Um, so it must have been a good three hours to, wow. to get the zombie makeup Really? On. Wow. Mm. Yeah. That's incredible. Is it because on our podcast, when we talk about the making of stories, we talk about like how long makeup takes. Is it that agonizing to have that much makeup on and to be just sat in a chair for three hours just while they apply layers and layers of makeup? I quite enjoyed it because it was a one-off. So I was watching this transformation take place as I sat in the chair and I didn't know what I was going to look like. I imagine if I'd had to go and do it the following day and the surprise of what I'd eventually look like was gone then it would be quite boring. But at that moment, finding out that I was going to be in a movie, and they were really cool, the producers. They played me some of the footage they'd already shot, so the bit where all the zombies are attacking the bus at the end. It was No, it was good. It was good. Uh, But, yeah, when you hear some actors, like I think, was it Ron Perlman for Hellboy? It was like eight hours, and you're like, eight hours? Oh, my (laughs) God. Every day as well for Ron Mm. Perlman in that. Yeah, Yeah, yeah. So, obviously, it's a remake. Alex, of the original by Romero, do you prefer this one or the original? Oh, gosh. There's a loaded question, isn't there? So, this is one of the, this is Taking one aside of... the fact that you're in this one, which one yeah, do you prefer? Yeah. <laughs> I absolutely love the original, but in terms of what... I, oh, this is sacrilegious. I like fast zombies. I always have since, um, right, since this movie. I think this was... I mean, 28 Days Later was before this, but I think Danny Boyle famously said they're not zombies because they're not dead. They're infected with a rage virus. Yeah, but they are the one. They, they are, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> but, um, but this, the fast zombies in this, and also that title sequence to Johnny Cash when the man comes around is Brilliant. one of yeah. the, if not the mm-hmm. greatest title sequence in cinema history. Well, that was actually one of our questions, Alex, that do you prefer Romero's classic slow walking zombie or the fast moving ones. I agree. I think they're much scarier when they're faster. Yeah, I do. So the thing about slow zombies, I think I I understand it's the idea that if there's just one of them, you're all right. You can pretty much escape. Mm. But it's the idea that en masse, this this thing that individually is almost a bit of a joke because it's shuffling along. Mm -hmm. But there comes a point where there's just too many of them and ultimately you are then going to be killed by something that really you should have been able to escape. It's just the the, the the number. I love that about zombies. But no, like, honest, like that bit where they break, I say they, that bit where we break into the mall uh, <laughs> yeah, um, is, uh, is it's just, it's terrifying. The speed, the speed and ferocity of them as well. Yeah. Yeah. I think, well, with it being Zack Snyder, as well as having obviously horror influences, I think there's quite a lot of action influence in there as well. Oh, yeah, big time. The part towards the end, we've mentioned this film already, but the part towards the end where they're under the sewers, that reminded me massively of the air duct sequence in Aliens at the <laughs> end of that, where they're running through the tunnels. Yes, yes, that's true. I don't think I like that bit very much, though, because it's a bit... It's a bit like that's been there all the time and you yeah. haven't used it till now. Yeah, yeah. Mm. 
I think it's better than the original. Yeah, I'm going to, sorry, I'm just, wow. sorry, I'm still umming and erring about whether this was the right thing to say. But yes, I'm going, I'm going to put my <laughs> neck on the line and say I prefer the 2004 version. <laughs> yeah, well, I mean, I think like Zack Snyder, he, he kind of gets a, a bit of a bad rap. But I think this, and this was his debut feature as well. It's a hell of a start. And to take the Mona Lisa and redo it. And he's done an amazing job with this film. Mm. Yeah, and I, James Gunn's probably one of my favourite writers working today. Mm. And I love just that opening. It's, it's, it's a little James Whoa. Gunnism at the start where he's on the phone, the doctor's on the phone, and you can't hear the you can't hear the other side of the conversation. He's like, "Well, I like Gary," and you're like, "So James Gunn." <laughs> <laughs> yeah, that whole opening sequence Good. I thought was great. Ah, oh, it's magnificent. Yeah, yeah. unbelievable. I think like a lot of Zack Snyder films, there's some great visuals. There's a shot where Sarah Polly's driving the car and the camera's sort of tracking the car. Like it looks like like a video Mm -hmm. game. Fantastic. Yeah, it does. Isn't it amazing? Yeah, absolutely. That whole opening sequence from the minute, I mean, just the way Vivian gets onto her feet where she's sort of like, in one fluid moment, she goes from lying down to like, poof, onto her feet, the little girl. Uh, Yeah. I just, oh yeah, it's great. I think there's a is there a cameo from Tom Zavini I saw in there as well from the original Dawn yeah. of the Dead. Yeah, yeah, he plays a cop, <laughs> yeah. doesn't he? Yeah, that's yeah. right. Yeah, yeah, <laughs> he's given the instructions: shoot him in the head, burn the bodies. <laughs> yeah. But Ken Forey's in there as the evangelist on TV as well. He's in the original. That's right. Yeah, yeah, yeah. See, it's respectful, and I I, I remember it is. I remember reading George Romero. I mean, he he didn't love it like all of it, but he said it was good. Mm. He, he he certainly said it was a good film at one point. Well, that would, that, that would be good enough for me, yeah. <laughs> yeah, yeah. <laughs> Bit of yeah. A, um, a sidestep, Alex, but what do you think of Shaun of the Dead? <laughs> I was thinking of that. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, is that, that's the that's the movie where, isn't there a line at the end of Shaun of the Dead where he goes, uh, reports of it being a rage virus have been proved incorrect, uh, like taking a little <laughs> yeah. hop at 28 days later. Uh, so this is the sad part about being in Dawn of the Dead. I was in Dawn of the Dead, being a zombie in Dawn of the Dead, when I was asked to be a zombie in Shaun of the Dead. Uh, So they were doing that. No way. They were shooting on the day that I was in Toronto being in Dawn of the Dead. So I don't know. if you Would I have preferred to have been a zombie in Shaun of the Dead? Possibly. But yeah, I missed out on that opportunity. But I love Shaun of the Dead. I think it's it's incredible. Just such an amazing film. So what is your, I mean, I think we know, but what is your favorite scene from Dawn (laughs) of the Dead? Uh, there's a great bit where third zombie from the front um, no actually that's that on the day that when i was shooting my bit i was like i'm gonna give my zombie a bit of a limp uh so i was running but i was sort of dragging my like my legs slightly and zach snyder was like hey come over here man and i'm like oh i'm gonna get a special compliment from the director who's like who likes my weird zombie limp and he's like yeah what are you doing i'm like yeah i've given him a limp he's like yeah don't do that again i was like right got you (laughs) so um so my favorite scene is uh from the minute vivian like jumps to her feet and attacks anna's husband partner and then her escaping into the street him chasing her the drive down the bit where the truck goes into the petrol station right up until the end of johnny cash and the title sequence that whole segment is just perfect cinema
these people alive or dead? Hold them down! We don't know. Is that true? There's a man going around taking names. And you got your finger in various pies, Alex. You've also got your own movie podcast. Can you tell us a bit about that? Oh, yes. So um, I do a show, a podcast called A Trip to the Movies, which we started shortly after lockdown ended because people weren't returning to the cinemas, as I'm sure you guys are aware. I mean, people's viewing habits just changed when studios started putting movies straight onto streaming platforms. And even now, the window between watching a movie at the cinema and it arriving on home video is a lot shorter. And so we just basically wanted to remind people, me and my producer Grant, uh, the cinema is still the best place to watch films. And so each week a guest comes on and takes us on their perfect night out on the cinema. It's a kind of immersive journey. We start in the foyer, who, living or dead, (laughs) they take with them, what snacks they buy, and then we go into the auditorium. And yeah, one of the questions we ask is, uh, it's it's the one that sort of gets gets quite a lot of reactions and gets people talking, is um, what is your unpopular movie opinion? So often people pick a movie that they love that is widely regarded as rubbish or vice versa, a movie they hate that everyone loves. So uh, what is your unpopular movie opinion? Oh, lovely. Rolls reverse. John, do you want to take it first? Yeah. Well, I've got one which kind of rolls perfectly on the back of the last film we talked about. Because uh, one of mine is that I think Zack Snyder is a director that divides opinion quite heavily. And I think he gets a really bad rap. And I would say I'm actually quite a fan of his. I think his visuals are absolutely, and Dawn of the Dead is a good example of it. His visuals are incredible. Not just in Dawn of the Dead, I think in his superhero stuff, I think Watchmen is a, is as good an adaptation mm. of a masterpiece graphic novel that I think you're ever going to get. And I think it's largely in the visuals. I think his DC stuff isn't fantastic, but it's not because of the visuals. I think maybe he's a wasted cinematographer because I think his visuals are as good as anything that's out there for me. And I think he gets a really bad rap by people that say he's ruined DC and he's done this and he's done that. So I would never say that on Twitter, obviously. (laughs) (laughs) But yeah. Yeah, I mean, wars are being fought as we speak uh, about that on Twitter (laughs) right now. That is is not... Hashtag release the Snyder Cut. (laughs) (laughs) But I I guess you're a bit of a fan of him then, Alex. Is that right? Uh, Yeah, I am. I am. I, I, I'm I really interested to see Rebel Moon. Um, oh, yeah, I am I, as well. I, mm, yeah. I'm surprised they're allowed to call it Rebel Moon. It's like, this used to be a Star Wars script. Uh-huh. <laughs> no kidding. <laughs> um, but, yeah, I, I really do. I think Watchmen, again, I'm a huge fan of Watchmen. I think it's oh, a like wonderful it. adaptation. I mean, it's such a poison chalice adapting a Alan Moore novel yeah. because even if mm-hmm. you do the best job, and I think Watchmen is a fantastic adaptation, Alan Moore is still going to go, Rubbish. Yeah. Uh, and yeah, just... <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Tear my name off it. <laughs> yeah, exactly. <laughs> well, um, my unpopular movie opinion, I suppose you were very positive, John, and, and, I, and I wish I could be so, but I'm not going to be. I, I, and, and I'll admit that I know I'm wrong, but this is just what I know, and that hands are up. But you know, and I'll also admit Spit that. Spit it out, God. This is a big lead up. This is a big lead up. I'm also aware that Stanley Kubrick is one of the greatest directors ever. Widely regarded, 
His films are, are masterpieces. They transcend the medium. They become pieces of art. I love The Shining. I love Full Metal Jacket. I'm a big fan of Eyes Wide Shut. I can't stand 2001. <laughs> I can't abide it. I, 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 it. It takes you through two hours of nothingness, and then the last half an hour is just light. Um, <laughs> <laughs> so yes that's that's me and i know and i know that that people are just going to say well you're obviously an idiot and you don't understand it hands are up that that is a br- that's a brilliant unpopular movie opinion uh especially for the line the last 20 minutes are just light <laughs> that's that's incredible what does it all mean though alex <laughs> tell me that do you know what i i i don't know but i'm pretty sure Someone does. Someone, some, and someone is right now going. I, I was like literally struggling to find words to describe their fury at you describing the end of two thousand words. It's just light, but yeah, that's it. That's a really, that's a really good one. Yeah, it's it's a fun question. Dexter Fletcher, where he was on the he was on the show. He his was quite good considering Dexter Fletcher. You know, obviously the directs. Great movies now. Rocket Man's brilliant. Um, yeah, yeah, yeah. But he started out as a child actor. Press uh, Gang, wasn't mm-hmm. it? Yeah, it was, it was Press Gang. But even before that, he's Babyface <laughs> and Bugsy Malone. Uh, oh, pass right. this to Babyface. That's right, yeah. Babyface. I think he's in The Long Good Friday as well. He's in the scene Yes, in that. exactly, yeah. Mm-hmm. Uh, so uh, of all the unpopular opinions you might imagine Dexter Fletcher would have, he's like, he doesn't, he finds child actors ruin movies. <laughs> <laughs> he, he, used the, he used the example he said terminator 2 would be better without john connor i agree and, with that <laughs> agreed aliens would be better without newt <laughs> Ooh, well, that, Ooh. I, I'm, I'm not sure about that one but john connor i definitely go along with <laughs> really you think you think you think get rid of john connor from t2 oh, not, not the character it's the performance he's so annoying performance <laughs> <laughs> uh, what else uh, Blake Harrison from the Inbetweeners he said uh, he, he said his unpopular opinion is that you should not play horror movie trailers in front of any other genre of film if he goes to the cinema and it's he's not because he hates horror he doesn't obviously hates horror yeah, he does not want to see a horror trailer um, Neil Marshall the director of The Descent he said Skyfall is Daniel Craig's worst Bond movie wow Oh, <laughs> wow. <Hot dick. laughs> I mean, I mean, I, I would like to think that Neil would come on the show at one point <laughs> and talk about some of his films, but I think he's dead wrong there. <laughs> yeah. He's, I mean, when you hear him say it, though, I won't spoil it in case someone does want to Convinced. Does want to listen to it. He makes a good case for why it might be Daniel <laughs> Craig's worst Bond right. movie. Yeah. Right, I'll check that one out. Great. What, 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 what's yours and Alex? What would your unpopular opinion be? I I I have not got an answer for that. I'm working on one, but I right. think. Well, do I do I do I say it here? I, I so I, I'm, I'm, I'm wait. I'm gonna I'm gonna I'm gonna borrow <laughs> what both of you have done, which is prefix this answer with like a lot of explanation. <laughs> for, like, so I'm, I'm not gonna put myself in a hole. This might be because I think I've finally overwatched part two. But I'm starting to find myself of the opinion that the Dark Knight Rises is better than the Dark Knight. Wow. Yeah. Yeah. Now, again, wow. prefixing that with the idea that I've just watched the Dark Knight so many times mm. now because yes. because I, 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 I love it. And I think yeah. maybe I've just done that thing where I've killed a movie by watching it too <laughs> yeah. much. 
But <laughs> I'm, every time I watch The Dark Knight Rises, I'm like, well, this is great because it's got closure. We've got the end of the story. This like It feels like everything's, you know, we've been on this, you know, three movie journey and this is this is the closure and i like return of the jedi more than i like empire strikes back so it's a similar thing it is right wow right well when you said part two i was i was fearful you were going to see a friday the 13th so i, I <laughs> breathed a sigh of relief when, when it was the dark night <laughs> yeah or, or godfather part three is better than godfather part two <laughs> <laughs> So you've clearly got a love of movies and music, Alex. I mean, you've built a career on that. What's your favourite like soundtrack or movie score? Uh, that's a really good question because um, that's one of the questions that I ask on my show as well. Is it? On a trip to, <laughs> I, well, the question on a trip to the movies is what is the best use of music oh, yes. I heard in that a one, movie? Yeah, yeah. yeah. That's um, a great question, yeah. Uh, it, and for me, it's either the... Use of air on a G-string by Bach in the library scene in Seven. Oh, lovely. Morgan Freeman's researching Dante's Inferno and everything. And it's like, you know, Mm -hmm. the security guards are like, you want culture? How's this for culture? And they play that song and I'm just like, it just gets me every time. And weirdly, my other one is another Fincher movie. And it's when the Pixies, Where Is My Mind, comes on at the end of Fight Club. Great. What's well, yours? Let's do this. Let's do this because this is this is oh. this is what I this uh, is what I ask on the pod. You, you've got this one right on us. Yeah, <laughs> yeah. I've got, I, I, I know mine. I know mine straight away. Um, Danny Elfman's score for Midnight Run. Ah, I can't crazy. get enough of it. Oh, the the horns and the bluesy breaks. I just can't get enough of that soundtrack. I love it. <laughs> in terms of a use of music as a moment in a film, the first one that popped into my head when you asked that question was Marty McFly on his skateboard to The Power of Love oh, by yeah. Huey Lewis in the oh, news. Yes. <laughs> Beautiful. Absolutely masterful bit of music use in a film there. That was, oh, God, yeah. Yeah, once when I was a kid, Back to the Future was on on the BBC. This this Christmas Day, Back to the Future was on on the BBC, and Empire Strikes Back was on on ITV. And not that my – this makes it sound – because this is the 80s – I don't, my, yeah. one, of the, one of these TVs was really small, but my grand did have two TVs, a small one in one room and, and a, a bigger one in the other room. And I attempted to run between rooms so I could watch both movies. Because this was before this was before video record. This we didn't have a video. We couldn't record anything. Didn't go to a video shop. Yeah, yeah. And so it yeah, was yeah. like I was like I can't pick between these movies. I have to watch both. So I was just running back and forth trying to watch two movies at once. Yeah, how can you choose between those? It's impossible, right? <laughs> so to finish it off, then Alex, what do you have coming up in the pipeline for the future? Any plans? At the moment, just more making more a trip to the movies, uh, which I, if you're a film fan, I would encourage anyone to give it a listen. Thank you for allowing mm. me to promote it on, on your show. Uh, it's, um, it's it's just... It's a pleasure. You know, I'm, I mean, I should, I should ask you guys, do you agree that the cinema is still the best place to watch a film? Oh, Without of doubt. course, yeah. I was fearing the same as you, Alex. I thought it was kind of dying a death. I went a couple of months ago, would have been now, went to see Oppenheimer opening weekend, came out the same weekend mm. as Barbie, and the cinema was just buzzing, absolutely rammed, mm. and it was fantastic to see. First thing I've seen that for years. I was exactly the same. I, I you know, I, through the nature of the work, I end up having to um, attend a lot of press screenings, so, you know, mm. which is not as much fun as that opening weekend. I, I went to see Barbie. Oh, yeah. 
and I've just, I, I like you. I can't remember the last time I've been in a cinema where every seat was taken yeah. and that communal experience of everyone just like on this same journey together. It just, it, it changed the way I watched the film and enjoyed the film. It was perfect. Mm-hmm. Yeah. I, I went to see The Exorcist, obviously. Um, the the original, it was just a limited release, but the theatre was packed. Every single seat was taken. Well, and, and I know it was just because it was one screen and, you know, they're in limited supply, but it was just heartwarming to see this film that, that shocked the world in 1973. And people are still cramming to go to see it 50 years on. Incredible. Really, really happy with that. Yeah. Yeah, and I really hope that this Barbenheimer thing, you know, uh, mm-hmm. the success of those movies is going to create, you know, I mean, I certainly think there are people, there were people who were in those screening rooms, uh, screening room cinemas who um, <laughs> who certainly will have got a, 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 a hunger to experience that again. And I really hope it's a turning point and more people are going to be going back to the cinema to watch movies. Absolutely. Yeah. Fantastic. Amen. Okay, great. Well, Alex, it's been great to talk to you. We've had loads of fun. Thank you so much for coming on the show, and we wish you good luck for the podcast and everything else that you've got coming up in the future. Uh, It's been an absolute pleasure chatting films with you guys. Um, Thank you for having me on. This has been absolutely lovely, so cheers. Absolute pleasure. Thank you, Alex. That was brilliant. No problem. Thanks, Alex. Cheers. Big thanks to Alex for coming on the show. Don't forget to check out his podcast, A Trip to the Movies with Alex Zane. Great show. As for all the right movies, our latest podcast on classic and hit films is on A Nightmare on Elm Street. That came out last week. And next week, we're talking about Daniel Craig's first 007 out in Casino Royale. So tune in for that next week. It's going to be a good one, John. Huge one. Casino Royale. Yeah. Daniel Craig's first. So it should be great. One of the best. If you like the podcast, you can sign up to be an All The Right Movies Patreon supporter. You can get access to all of the podcasts that we've created exclusively for Patreon and our classic podcast archive, which is stuffed full with around 130 episodes on classic and hit films not available anywhere else. Oof. Oh, yeah. Yeah. An opportunity not to be missed. Absolutely. There are other benefits available as well, so go to patreon.com forward slash all the right movies to support us and get access to hundreds of hours of great content. And our classic podcast archive is also available on Apple Podcasts, so subscribe to that to get your hands on that now. It would also be great if you could give us a positive rating on Spotify and Apple Podcasts. You know, we love five stars here, John. Yeah, only positive ones, please. (laughs) Keep your negativity to yourself. Yeah, if you don't mind. (laughs) In the meantime, we're everywhere on social media. On Twitter, we are at ATWriteMovies. Instagram and threads, we are at all the underscore right movies. We have our Facebook group as well, full of lively discussions and wonderful people. Follow us on TikTok, we are at all the right movies. Subscribe to our YouTube channel and like our videos. They go up all the time. They include the whole ATRM gang and are fantastic. And finally, our website with loads of incredible features is alltherightmovies.com. Thank you for tuning in, everyone. Come back next week for Casino Royale. We'll see you soon. Thanks a lot, everybody. See you then. Bye. Bye.